Now we come to another sutta, 4.20.198. The Buddha said, Monks, these four persons are found existing in the world. What for? Here in monks, a certain person is a self-tormentor, given to the practice of self-torment. Herein again, a certain person is a tormentor of another, given to the practice of tormenting another. Yet again, a certain person is a tormentor both of self and another, and given to that practice. And yet again, monks, a certain person is a tormentor neither of self nor of another, nor given to the practice of tormenting self and another. He who torments neither, neither self, he who torments neither self nor another, in this very life is no more hungry. He is elate. He has become cool. One who has penetrated bliss, who dwells with self that has become Brahma. And how monks is a person, a self-tormentor, one given to the practice of self-torment. In this case, a certain one goes naked. He has loose habits. He licks his hands clean. He will have none of your come in, your reverence, or stop a bit, your reverence. He refuses food brought to him. He refuses special food. He refuses an invitation to a meal. He refuses food straight from the pot or straight from the pan, or within the threshold of a door, or among the firewood, or among the rice pounders. He refuses food when a couple are eating, or from a pregnant woman, or from a woman giving suck, or from one sleeping with a man. He refuses food from a mixed collection, or where a dog stands by, or where flies are swarming. He eats neither fish nor flesh, drinks no liquor nor intoxicant, not even rice gruel. Stop here for a moment. Here the Buddha is describing those uh, unbeneficial ascetic practices uh, that are practiced by these external ascetics uh, who torment themselves, uh, they inflict uh, they they believe in uh, doing all these practices uh, which uh, actually bring on suffering. For example, um, he goes naked, uh, licks his hands, and then when people call him to come in, he refuses to come in. When people ask him to stop, he refuses to stop. He refuses special food. And then um, he's got a peculiar sense of compassion. When a couple are eating, he refuses to uh, take food from them. Maybe he thinks that they will not have enough to eat. When a pregnant woman uh, wants to give him food, he refuses. Maybe he thinks uh, that the baby inside that woman um, might not get enough nourishment. Uh, when a dog is standing by, he refuses to accept food because he thinks uh, that's the dog might uh, have less food to eat because he accepts food. When flies are swarming, also he refuses because he thinks uh, of compassionate thoughts towards the flies, etc. Then the Buddha continued. He asks alms from one house only. He is an eater of one mouthful. Or maybe he begs from two houses, eats two mouthfuls, three houses, four up to seven houses and eats seven mouthfuls only. He exists on just one little dole of food or just two or three or seven such doles. He takes food only once a day or once in two days, three days or once in seven days. Thus he, give, he lives given to the practice of taking food by rule, even up to the extent of two weeks or half a month between meals. He feeds on vegetables, on millet, on rice, on raw rice, on scraps of leather, on water plants, 
rice powder, burnt scump of rice, uh, flour of all seeds on grass and cow dung. He just exists on forest roots and fallen fruit. He wears coarse hempen clothes, cloth of different fibers, discarded corpse cloths, rags from a rubbish heap, tree bark fiber, antelope skins, strips of antelope skin, clothes made of kusa grass, made of wood shavings, blankets made of human hair, made of horse hair, made of owl's wings. He is a plucker out of hair and beard and given to this practice. He remains standing and refuses a seat. He squats down and keeps a squatting position. He is a bed of thorns man. He makes his bed on spikes. He lives given to the practice of going down to the water to bathe even to a third time in the evening also. Thus in diverse ways he lives even to these practices which torment the body. Thus monks is a person a self-tormentor and given to that practice. Just stop here just to comment again. Uh, here uh, if he begs for his food uh, he begs maybe from one house or two houses only or three houses up to seven houses maximum. And this is not a Buddhist practice, but uh, later books, uh, they got confused with these external ascetics and they said that Buddhist monks are supposed to beg from seven houses only. This is definitely not a Buddhist uh, practice. It's an external sect practice uh, that crept into the later Buddhist books. Uh. And uh, also he takes... Uh, one uh, food once a day or then or when he can do it then two days once and then when he can do that three days once up to 14 days he take one meal but when he takes that meal he'll gorge himself uh, as much as he can and then after that he'll go on a fast and then he takes particular types of food even eating cow dung and a fallen fruit etc and then he wears uh, different kinds of animal skins or um, grass, etc. Then he uses human hair to make a blanket and uh, plucks out his, his, his hair and his beard. Uh, it's quite painful, but uh, does all these things. Uh, and, uh, and how monks is a person a tormentor of another and given to that practice. Herein a certain person is a butcher, a pig killer, a fowler, a deer stalker, a hunter, fisherman, a bandit, an executioner, a jailer, or one any of any other who follows a bloody calling. That monks is how a person tortures another and is given to such practice of torture. And how monks is a person a tormentor of both self and another and given to the practice of tormenting self and another. Here in monks, a certain person is a raja or nobleman who has been consecrated or a brahmin of a great house. Having built a new moat hall on the east side of a town, he gets his head and beard shaved, dons a shaggy skin, smears his body with ghee and oil, scratches his back with a deer's horn, and enters the moat hall together with his chief wife and Brahmin chaplain. There he makes his bed upon the bare grass-covered ground. Then the Raja lives on the milk from one teeth or nipple of a cow with calf of light color. His chief wife lives on the milk from the second teeth. The Brahmin chaplain lives on the milk from the third teeth, while that from the fourth they offer a sacrifice to the fire. The calf is fed with what is left over. Then he says, Let so many bulls be slain for the sacrifice. Let so many cows, so many hyphas, so many goats, so many rams. Let so many horses be slain for the sacrifice. 
Let them cut down so many trees for sacrificial posts. Let them mow so much kusa grass for the sacrifice. Then whosoever are called his slaves, messengers and workmen, scared by fear of the rod, with tearful faces set about their preparations. That monks is how a person is a tormentor of both self and another, given to the practice of tormenting both self and another. And how monks is a person neither the one thing nor the other, given neither to the practice of tormenting self nor to that of tormenting others. He who torments neither self nor another in this very life is no more hungry. He is elate, become cool. He is one who has penetrated bliss. He lives with a self that has become Brahma. I stop here for a moment. This word, become Brahma, is Brahma Bhutta. Now this word Brahma Bhutta is mentioned in one sutta, in the Aganya Sutta of the Diga Nikaya where the Buddha said, this designates the Tathagata, uh, Dhamma body, that means Dhammakaya, Brahma body, Brahmakaya, Dhamma become Dhammabhuta, and Brahma become Brahmabhuta. So, that is the real state of a Buddha, the real description of a Buddha. It's not that uh, Buddha has gone to Nibbana, there is nothing left. There is something which the Buddha says is very profound, unfathomable, very deep. And that the Buddha calls the Brahma body or Dhamma body, uh, Brahma become or Dhamma become. Uh, so that is the also the state of an Arahant. Then the Buddha continued, In this case, monks, a Tathagata arises in the world, an Arahant, a fully enlightened one, perfect in knowledge and conduct, a welfarer, a world-knower, unsurpassed driver of men to be driven, teacher of devas and mankind, a Buddha, an exalted one. He makes known this world with its devas, its maras, its brahmas, with its host of recluses and brahmins, of devas and mankind, himself having thoroughly understood and realized it. He teaches Dhamma that is lovely in the beginning, lovely in the middle, lovely at the end both in the spirit and the letter. He makes plain the holy life entirely complete and pu fully purified. Then a house father or one of a household or one born in some family or other hears that Dhamma and so hearing acquires faith in the Tathagata. I stop here for a moment, you see. Here a person acquires faith eh, by listening to the Dhamma. And this faith eh, is... Uh, Sada, Sada, sometimes translated as unshakable faith. So the hearing of the Dhamma is extremely important to have a firm foundation, uh, faith in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. And then the Buddha continued, Possessed of this faith, so acquired, he thus reflects, Oppressive is this household life, a dusty path, the way of going forth is free like the open air. It is no easy thing for one living the household life to practice the holy life in all its completeness, in utter purity like a polished shell. How if I were to get my beard shaved and donning the saffron robe, were to go forth from home to the homeless? Then he, some time later, abandoning the whole mass of his wealth, whether small or great, 
Abandoning his circle of relatives, whether small or great, gets his beard shaved, dons the saffron robes, and goes forth from home to the homeless. <coughs> he, having thus gone forth, having entered upon the way of life, in the training followed by monks, abandoning the slaying of creatures, abstains therefrom. He lives as one who has laid down the rod, who has laid down the knife, who has scruples, is kind, and has compassion for every living thing. Abandoning the taking of what is not given, he abstains therefrom. He lives as one who takes only what is given, who waits for what is given. He lives with a self that has become pure, <clears throat> not by stealth. Abandoning the unchaste life, he lives chaste, lives a life aloof, abstaining from the sexual act, from dealings with women folk. Abandoning falsehood, he abstains therefrom. He speaks the truth. Um, and joins truth to truth, unswerving, reliable, no deceiver of the world. Abandoning slanderous speech, he abstains therefrom. When he hears something at one place, he spreads it not abroad elsewhere to cause dissension among these folk. When he hears something at another place, he spreads it not abroad elsewhere to cause dissension among these folk. Thus he reconciles those who are at variance and confirms the friendly. He delights in harmony, finds pleasure herein, rejoices in harmony, and utters words that make for harmony. Abandoning coarse speech, he abstains therefrom. Whatever speech is blameless, pleasing to the ear, affectionate, speech that goes to the heart, is obeyed, delights many folk, pleases many folk, such speech does he utter. Abandoning idle babble, he abstains therefrom. He is one who speaks in season, speaks of facts, speaks sense, speaks according to Dhamma, speaks according to Vinaya. He speaks words worth treasuring up that are seasonable, reasonable, discriminating and concerned with profit. Stop here for a moment. Here the Buddha is talking that uh, once a person has gone forth, the first thing that he does is to follow the training. And uh, the basics of it is keeping uh, good sila, moral conduct. And here in this description that I just read just now is one of the few places where the uh, two types of verbal karma are described. Uh, the first one is Musavada. This one normally people know Musavada means lying. Uh, that means we abstain, we have to abstain from lying. Then the second one is Pisuna Vacha, sometimes translated as slander, slanderous speech. Uh, this one sometimes uh, people can get a wrong uh, interpretation, a wrong idea of it because the way it's translated, slander, sometimes people think it's talking bad about somebody else. That's not the meaning. Here it's described very clearly. That means you hear something, you go somewhere else and repeat it and cause two different parties to be, uh, to, 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 to quarrel uh, with each other. So you spread disharmony. So that is the meaning of pisuna vacha, sometimes translated as slander. And the third one is uh, parusa vacha, core speech. Core speech is um, uh, this one is generally understood and cause a harsh speech uh, that is uh, painful to the ear, this unpleasing. And the last one is sampapalapa, that is uh, idle speech. Uh, mm. Uh, what is uh, sort of um, gossip and uh, 
unbeneficial talk. Then the Buddha continued, He is one who abstains from injury to seed life and plant life, lives on one meal a day, refrains from food at night, abstains from food at unseasonable hours, from flowers, scents, unguents, adornments and finery, from shows of notch dancing and singing, from beds high and broad, from accepting gifts of gold and silver, that means money, from taking gifts of uncooked grain, of uncooked flesh, from gifts of women and girls, female and male slaves, of goats and sheep, fowls and swine, elephants, cattle, horses and mares. He abstains from gifts of fields, cultivated or waste, from buying and selling, sending messengers or going as such, from cheating with scales, copper vessels or measures, from taking bribes to pervert justice, from cheating and crooked ways. He abstains from cutting, flogging, binding, highway robbery, plundering and deeds of violence. I stop here for a moment. This last part now on Sila. Uh, injury to seed life and plant life is, uh, is uh, more of an Indian custom. Uh, the Buddha did not say that we cannot... Uh, uh, injure seed life and plant life in as as the other external sec, uh, ascetics uh, uh, do. He, the Buddha was more uh, lax on this in the sense that the Buddha said that uh, for a monk, um, for example, if uh, a fruit is offered, uh, then if uh, a lay person um, cuts it or pokes it, nah, then the monk can eat even to the extent of damaging the seed. Nah. That means it is made allowable for a monk. So the, the Buddha did not actually, uh, was not strict in this, it, it, to the extent of some external ascetics uh, who considered plant life uh, as a living being, a one faculty living being. And then one meal a day, this one meal a day is a, uh, the Buddha uh, asked his disciples to practice it so that they don't become too um, uh, too too fat uh, because it's not conducive to meditation. So, <clears throat> and then uh, other things like uh, gifts of women, girls, female, and male slaves. Although the Buddha did not allow monks uh, to accept uh, slaves uh, and women, etc., but the Buddha did allow. Uh, during his time, uh, for the king uh, to send workers to help a monk, so that sometimes uh, in the Vinaya we find uh, there's a whole village uh, of workmen uh, employed by the king to work for the monks, so to build the monastery buildings, etc. You know, and the monks would tell them what to do, but um, they were paid by the king. However. Uh, even though the monks would tell them what to do, yet uh, the monks would uh, go among them uh, and beg for their alms food. And um, then another thing I'd like to mention here is gifts. He abstains from gifts of fields cultivated or waste. This one uh, is only for arable uh, fields, uh, that means uh, plantations, uh, um, Monks uh, cannot accept them directly, but there is a type of land that a monk can, or the Sangha can accept directly, that is land for a monastery, because the Buddha made it very clear in the Vinaya rules uh, that the monastery, 
land and monastery buildings and household items in a monastery belong to the Sangha. They are considered Sangha property to be kept for the Sangha monks of the four directions, north, south, east, west, present and yet to come. That means to be kept in perpetuity for the Sangha of the present and the future. And these uh, Sangha property uh, cannot be sold, uh, cannot be given away, cannot be distributed unless it is sold uh, to buy something uh, uh, similar uh, for the Sangha. For example, you sell a piece of land to buy a bigger piece of land or something for a monastery. Uh. So this uh, abstention from gifts of fields cultivated or waste uh, is does not refer to monastery land. It's only for like um, arable land, fields and plantations, etc. Even though the monks cannot accept it directly, it can be accepted, for example, by a Buddhist society or lay people and used to support the the monks. Uh. But oh, the there's an incident in the Vinaya which shows uh, that the Buddha accepted monastery land directly. When the first monastery was given to the Buddha, King Bimbisara presented a piece of land to the Buddha and the Buddha accepted it directly. In the old Indian tradition, uh, the Buddha cupped his hands, you know, cupped the palms of his hands and the King Bimbisara poured water directly into the Buddha's hands and the Buddha accepted on behalf of the Sangha. He is content with a rope sufficient to protect the body, with arms food enough for his belly's need. Wherever he may go, he takes these with him. Just as, for instance, a bird upon the wing, wherever he may fly, flies with the load of his wings. Even so, a monk is content with a rope and takes these with him. Possessed of this Aryan mass of morals, he experiences in himself the bliss of blamelessness. Seeing an object with the eye, uh, uh, I stop here for a moment. The second thing that the monk cultivates is contentment. Uh, and uh, to continue, uh, the Buddha said, Seeing an object with the eye, he is not misled by its outer view, nor by its lesser details. Since coveting and dejection, evil and profitable states might flow in upon one who lives with the faculty of eye uncontrolled. He applies himself to such control, sets a guard over the faculty of eye, and attains control thereof. Hearing a sound with the ear, or with the nose smelling a scent, or with the tongue tasting a favor, or a sever, or with body contacting tangibles, or with mind cognizing mental states, he is not misled by their outer view, nor by their lesser details. But since coveting and dejection, evil and profitable states, by flowing upon one who lives uh, un uh, with his faculties uncontrolled, he sets a guard over the faculties, attains control thereof. Thus, possessed of this Aryan restraint of faculties, he experiences in himself unadulterated bliss. Stop here for a moment. So here the third thing is Indriya Sugutta Dwara, guarding the sense doors. Practice restraint over the sense doors. Then the Buddha continued. In going forth and returning, he acts mindfully. In looking in front and looking behind. In bending or relaxing, in wearing his robe and bearing outer robe and bowl, in eating, drinking, chewing and tasting, in easing himself, in going, standing, sitting, sleeping, waking, in speaking and keeping silence, he acts mindfully. He possessed of this 
uh, stop here for a moment. So this fourth one is Sati Sampajanya, mindfulness and awareness. And the Buddha continued, He possessed of this Aryan mass of morals and this Aryan restraint of the faculties and this Aryan mindfulness and composure and this Aryan contentedness resorts to a secluded lodging place, a forest, the root of a tree, a hill, ravine, grotto or cave, a charnel field, a jungle path, an open space, a heap of straw. After his meal, when he has returned from his arms round, he sits cross-legged, keeping his body erect and fixing his attention in front of him. Then, abandoning the hankering after the world, he abides with heart freed therefrom. Having regard for the welfare of everything that lives, he purges his heart of the taint of ill will. Abandoning sloth and torpor, he remains freed therefrom. Wide awake, mindful, composed, and purges his heart of sloth and torpor. Abandoning restlessness and flurry, he abides tranquil at heart in the inner self. He purges his heart of restlessness and flurry, abandoning doubt and wavering. He abides as one who has transcended them, no longer questioning this or that in things profitable. He purges his heart of doubt and wavering. So, uh, just now going, uh, stop here for a moment, uh, seclusion uh, is viveka, resorts to a secluded place. And then after that he uh, uh, abandons the five hindrances, that's called nivarana pahana. Thus abandoning these five hindrances, these stains of the heart which cause the weakening of wisdom, aloof from sense desires, aloof from un- from evil conditions, etc. He attains and abides in the first, second, third and fourth jhanas. Then with heart calmed and purified, cleansed and flawless, void of taints, grown soft and pliable, fixed and come to utter peace, he bends down his mind to the knowledge of how to destroy the asavas. He comes to know as, as it really is. This is dukkha. This is the Arising of Dukkha, this is the ending of Dukkha, this is the practice going to the ending of Dukkha. He comes to know as it really is. These are asavas, this is the arising of asavas, this is the ending of asavas, this is the practice going to the ending of asavas. In him thus knowing, thus seeing, his heart is released from the asava of sense-desire, his heart is released from the asava of becoming, his heart is released from the asava of ignorance. By release comes the knowledge, I am released. He comes to know, destroyed his rebirth, lived his holy life, done is what was to be done, there is no coming to this state of things. Thus, monks, a person is neither a tormentor of self nor of another, nor given to the practice thereof. He being neither of these, in this very life, hungers no more. He is elate, become cool. He experiences in the, he abides in the experience of bliss with a self that has become Brahma. So, monks, these are the four persons found existing in the world. That's the end of the sutta. So, here, in this last part of the sutta, you find uh, several factors uh, explain. Uh, the first one is sila. The second one is contentment. The third one is guarding the sense doors. Then mindfulness and awareness. Then uh, uh, seclusion. Then abandonment of the hindrances. Then attainment of the four jhanas. These uh, these uh, factors uh, uh, grouped together uh, are called charana. Sometimes translated as conduct. Uh, one of the names of the Buddha is uh, Vijacharana Sampano, replete uh, or complete uh, in knowledge and conduct. So this conduct uh, is the holy path. Uh, 
which is uh, the, uh, the the practice of the holy path. Now, in this sutta, uh, uh, these factors that I've just read to you just now, uh, three factors are not in here. And these, um, in other words, there are seven factors here mentioned, seven factors. Uh, and three are not mentioned, and the three that are not mentioned is got from other suttas. The first one is moderation in eating, bojane matanyuta. The second one is devoted to wakefulness, jagariya nu yoga. The third one is the seven true dharmas, saddhamma. Faith, conscience, remorse, much learning, energetic effort, mindfulness, wisdom. Now, um, the famous uh, Sayadaw, uh, Lady Sayadaw, in his books, uh, he described this uh, charana conduct. He also took these seven factors uh, uh, from the Diga Nikaya, the, the, the Diga Nikaya, the factors given in the Diga Nikaya are just the seven mentioned here. And he missed out these other three. Uh, these other three are found in other suttas, uh, uh, like uh, Majima Nikaya and, uh, and also Anguttara Nikaya, like, uh, uh, earlier I read, uh, that, uh, sure cause, uh, if a monk possess, uh, three things, uh, he's on the sure course, and these two things were, these two factors were mentioned there, moderation in eating and devoted to wakefulness. And these uh, seven saddhamma is found in the Majima Nikaya. So uh, if you take these seven, so if the, the complete factors uh, for charana conduct uh, or practice uh, is actually uh, the seven which are found here, namely sila, contentment, guarding the sense doors, mindfulness and awareness, seclusion, abandonment of the hindrances, and attaining of the four jhanas. These are the seven. Then you add another three, moderation in eating, devotion to wakefulness, and the seven true dharmas, seven saddhamma. Mm. The other thing I like to mention here at the end of this sutta is describe the ending of the asavas, and the asavas mentioned here is the asava of sense desire, sensual desire, kamma sava, then the asava of becoming, then the asava of ignorance. So here there are only three things mentioned as asavas, and then. In some later suttas, uh, for example, in the some other suttas, uh, they mention four. They mention four plus another one, I think, on views. 